Hello, hello. Happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Hello, hello. Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Um, if you're just joining us, we are currently in, I guess, kind of smack dab in the middle of a series called 50 Days. Currently, we are in part three of this series. It's called 50 Days, and kind of the topic of this series is on the Holy Spirit. And I feel like part of the reason um, this, this idea came up for myself and Pastor Chris as to why this is something relevant and important we should preach about is I feel like for a lot of us, when it comes to the idea of God, we have a much more solid foundation of God the Father and Jesus the Son who is here. And when it comes to the idea of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, depending on how you grew up, it's a little more hazy. It's not as solid. Like Jesus, Son of God, yes, here. God, Yahweh, that guy. And then Holy Spirit, oh, for some of us, it's like, is it a thing? Is it a person? Is it like a, a vibe? What is this? And so I felt like it was, we felt like it was important and necessary to go through this series and talk about really the role of the Holy Spirit, who the Holy Spirit is, and, and kind of the importance of the Holy Spirit. In part one, that's essentially what we talked about, right? The Holy Spirit is a thing, and every time you read through scripture, any message or passage that contains the idea or the concept or the presence of the Holy Spirit, you can't help but deny that today, right now, in Portland 2023, as in modern day Christianity, the Holy Spirit definitely has a place. It's important and should be central in our understanding and relationship to God and how we understand and walk with Him. Last week, we talked about this nuanced difference between two phrases we find in Scripture uh, that are often used in, in, in uh, connection with the Holy Spirit, full of the Spirit and filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about the nuance between full of being this general description of someone's character, while filled with are moments in time when the Holy Spirit fills someone for a specific time, place, and purpose. And we kind of equated all of that with the idea of pickles. If you don't know what we're talking about, then you need to check out the series. Um, it's, again, you can catch it if you missed last week and you don't remember. Um, it's on our podcast platform as well as on YouTube. But if you remember last week, Pastor Chris teed up this series. He kind of previewed what we talk about today by saying that this is the most uh, difficult message-topic in this series. And part of the reason he said that is because I said that when we were coming up with this series together. And we're like, dang, we're coming up with, you know, a few different angles of, like, okay, when it comes to the Holy Spirit, like, what, how can we get this flow of what are the topics that we need to talk about, what are the order? And I remember as we were laying it down, I was in the office in the whiteboard, I was like, dang, it sucks whoever's preaching part three, it's going to be rough. And then, lo and behold, coincidentally, amazingly, two weeks earlier, we set the sermon schedule, we made a switch in the sermon schedule where I would be preaching on this day. So, thank you. The Holy Spirit moves. I love it. It's awesome. And honestly, I can't believe any of myself. But um, that being said, and because I partially do agree with Pastor Chris, um, I do want to open us up with a word of prayer before we go into the word today. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just want to thank you again for the privilege to be here on this Sabbath to worship you and to be with friends and our church family, Father. I ask that in this moment, the song that we just sang becomes our actual prayer, that you become my champion, Father. And that these words that I speak, the topic and the truths that are here are not of my own at all, Father. May I decrease entirely and may you be glorified. May your words be spoken and may your will be done at Rock Fellowship as it is in heaven, Lord. For anyone listening to this message, Father, you know who this message and topic is for. Father, may you send the Holy Spirit into this room, into our hearts. Soften our hearts, open our ears, Father. May we tune our gaze towards you. I pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Before we go any further, I want to start by talking about this Rock Kids talk. And, you know, Pastor Chris, a little bit of shade. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before, and I don't know if they'll ever ask any of you guys to come up here, Helen or, and or Irene. 
But this is a really hard place to be. And I know this because I edit all the videos. And so, one, it was really difficult for me to edit myself and listen to my voice and see all my mannerisms. But the whole time, I was, most of my footage was edited out because most of it is Eden asking me a question and me going, huh, hmm, Eden, why are these questions so hard? Hmm. And like, about the, I'm on there, I'm on this, my screen time is about like two minutes, give or take. My entire footage was like 10 minutes. And it's me just complaining about like, it's so hard, it's so difficult. Like, Sienna, boom, boom, boom. I asked her the question, she came out right away. And for me, I'm editing it, Eden asked the question, and there's like three minutes of me just complaining. And like, I don't know the answer. I'm like, oh my goodness, what is wrong with you? I'm cutting out entire chunks of footage. Um, and one of the questions that um, Eden asked was, and I should have seen this coming. Honestly, you're interviewing a pastor for something like this. Um, the question was, what is your favorite Bible story? And I was like, ooh, that's a good one. And I sat there for about 30 seconds, like, ah, oh, yeah. But I kept like, using these filler words, like, mm, mm-hmm. Like right now, I would say, like, old or new. Okay, um, mm, I think, and I was just scrambling for about 30 seconds. And to be honest, I don't know, I hadn't really thought about that question in that way in a while. And I just said, Jonah. And I cut it out because I was, as I was editing it, I was like, that's not my favorite Bible story. I just, I just said it because I was like, Eden is watching your youth pastor struggle to come up with just a Bible story. And it's so like, I cut it out. I was like, this is ridiculous. But um, speaking of that question, I actually came around to asking that in our youth Sabbath school. So I had the privilege of, of leading out youth Sabbath school. And generally, the way we do Sabbath school for the youth, uh, at least specifically for the high school, is um, whoever is speaking, in this case it was me, will come up with questions that kind of preview the topic for whatever the main worship, the service, the message will be. And so the question I started off with, and generally we start with a more kind of lighthearted icebreaker type. And the question was, what is your favorite Bible story? Um, favorite Bible story or favorite Bible character. And we went around the room and, you know, we got the usual suspects. We got Joseph, we got Daniel, we got Moses, we got like Exodus, Prince of Egypt Moses, and then we had like Mount Sinai, Wilderness Moses. We had um, Jesus, classic, and then we talked, you know, the, the story that they loved was Jesus feeding the 5,000. We had Esther, we had, you know, kind of really the usual suspects. And I think for right now, I want to ask the question. Right now, you hear, what is your favorite Bible story? If that's too hard for you, you can think about when you were a kid, who was the Bible character that you thought was the coolest, the Bible story that you loved to be told, the Bible story that you were always excited when this is what you learned about in Sabbath school or in children's church. I imagine that for most of us, maybe not all, but the vast majority of us, it's one of the more famous popular ones, right? You, you probably somewhere along the lines of Noah and the ark, um, David and Goliath, um, Jesus walking on water, Jesus feeding the 5,000. Daniel in the lion's den, that's a very good one, dare to be a Daniel, Moses splitting the Red Sea. And I think it's, it's very little coincidence, it's no coincidence that the most popular, well-known, favorite Bible stories of ours, especially as kids growing up in the church that have been, you know, familiar with these, are the most, for lack of a better word, like the flashy ones, the cool ones. You know what I didn't hear in that room? I love the story of Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount, right? The greatest sermon of all time, but the greatest person ever. No one ever brings that up. No one ever brings up, oh, you know what my favorite story is? Like Samuel anointing David as the future king. Like sets the future of the rest of the Bible up, um, the next lineage of where, where, where David and, and Jesus would come from. Nobody ever mentions that. Nobody ever mentions like the book of Ruth or the story of Ruth. It's always these kind of like powerful cool, crazy, like, yeah, I like the story where God splits an ocean in two. 
I like the story where God caters for 10,000 people with his bare hands on the spot. I like the story of someone goes into a lion's den and God shuts the mouths of all the lions and it is like proclaims his truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? You go into a fire and you meet Jesus in the fire and then you come out and you win religious liberties for your people. And in exile nation, you're like, that's cool. We like those. And I think for a lot of us, it says a lot about kind of the things in the Bible that draw our attention. And to be honest, and, and I'm speaking as someone that kind of grew up in the church, for a lot of, of these stories, the fascination was these, these miraculous events, these wild, big displays of God's power. And in a sense, if I'm being honest, as a kid, the connection was almost, for me, Moses, that's a superhero right there. That's like a biblical Christian superhero. He had powers, he did these amazing things, and for me, the reason why I was so drawn, and I think the reason why a lot of us are drawn to these certain characters and stories are the kind of flashy moments in the Bible where God says, boom, this is my power. Let my people go. Here are 10 plagues. Peter, you don't believe? Come on, walk on the water, right? No one brought food? Food for everyone, right? These are the stories that, that kind of captivate us and draw us. And I think for a lot of us, we ask ourselves at some point the question very naturally, huh, all these people in the Old Testament, New Testament, believed in God and did these crazy things. Can I do those things? Like, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. And for many of you, maybe it was at a pretty young age. I know for me, when I was in, like, elementary school, like, I remember hearing about, like, Peter walking on water, and, and, and the message was Peter had faith, and he stepped out in faith, and as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to, you know, walk out to Jesus and, like, the failure of Peter was he took his eyes off Jesus, right? And then he noticed the wind and the waves. He got scared, and then he fell, and Jesus saves him. And so the translation for like an eight-year-old me was, as I was staring at the pool of my friend's house, I was like, if I believe hard enough, and I'm not scared, and I look up into the heavens, and I kind of really quickly tap, tap, tap across this pool, I should be able to make it across, Right? I don't know how many of you guys have had that similar thought or maybe you're, if your theology is a little bit worse, you're sitting on the couch and like, I wonder if I can levitate like the remote towards me and not have to get up. I feel like there's this sort of fascination with, with these powers, so to speak, that people in the Old Testament, and you know, no one is saying that Moses intrinsically had those powers. God worked through Moses. God worked through these people. And I feel like for a lot of us, the question we subconsciously ask and answer is, does God do those same things today? Does God still perform those miraculous works and wonders today? Could I, could I be used by God and perform wondrous signs and healings and miracles um, to this day? And I know uh, if you were here a few sermons ago that I preached, I talked about the experience I had with trying to pray over my mom and pray a prayer of healing over my mom. And the story ends with me just, just getting her an Advil because it didn't work, right? And so I feel like for a lot of us, even if you have not maybe explicitly asked yourself the question, I think a lot of us have sort of, you know, worked it out on our own. And I would argue for most of us, you can correct me if I'm wrong, the answer is, no, I don't think so. I, I, I don't think he does do those things today. And for our purposes today, I want to reframe the question for our series. And the question I want to ask in terms of the Holy Spirit is, if if the Holy Spirit is as important as Pastor Chris said it was two weeks ago, right? if it really is that central and vital to our relationship with Jesus, and if the Holy Spirit 
is a part of the Godhead and merely a continuation of Jesus' ministry here on earth, just the continuation of him interacting with us where Jesus says, I'm going to leave, but I will send an advocate in my place. Like, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And really, he's just a continuation of God working in his people. Then, shouldn't you and I be able to do all of the same things that all the people in the Bible did? And if we can't, well, what does that say about the Holy Spirit? Is it him? Is it us? Is it a little bit of both? Right? Is, it, is he weaker today? Like, he was, like, much more potent in the book of Acts and, you know, in, like, the early church. And, you know, he's kind of worn out. He's burnt out now. He's taken a back seat. Is it just we're just much more disillusioned today? Like, what is this relationship between I know and I believe the then part? Back then, all these crazy things happened. But I feel like there's a little bit of a disconnect between the now. Like, I don't know if how much or if any of that necessarily carries over. Because I feel like I speak for most of us, if not all of the people in the room, when I say I feel like all those things happened much more often back then, and we don't nearly hear as much about miracles and wondrous signs and, and healings happening today. So what does that mean for the Holy Spirit, for how we should view the Holy Spirit, or is it on us? And all of these are valid questions, but in order to answer them, I think some clarification is needed. So last week, if you're here, Pastor Chris talked about this, uh, this distinction between being full of and filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, today, I'm going to add another kind of nuanced distinction between two terms um, that are actually kind of similar and in line with what Pastor Chris talked about last week. But today, I'm going to add another dimension to this, and it's on the effects of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When we are full of the Holy Spirit, when we're pickled in the Holy Spirit, and we become transformed and full of and give our lives to being directed and guided by the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, generally, there are two effects that we can experience and expect in our lives. The first is that our hearts and our character becomes transformed, and the term for this that we're familiar with are fruits, the fruit of the Spirit, very popularized on the, the most popular list is in Galatians chapter 5. Many of you, if you grew up in church, had to memorize these nine fruits at some point, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In other words, it's character change, right? As we're pickled in the Spirit, as we are full of the Spirit, as we abide in God and spend time in the Word and prayer, naturally, our character becomes changed, to become and reflect the character of our Father. The second is, the first effect is fruit. The second effect that is kind of imparted on us are what are known as gifts. Some of you may be familiar with the term spiritual gifts or gifts of the Spirit. And uh, the New Testament has these lists in, in three places. We're going to have them on the screen for you. The first is Romans chapter 12, and it's in verses 6 through 8. So we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Next list. Um, we're going to continue on with all these lists. The next one can be found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 8 through 10. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit uh, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. 
to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still another the interpretation of tongues. All these things are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Stay with me. Last list. There's some overlap, but these are all slightly different lists. This last list is found in the book of Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Most of you maybe have some way, shape, or form seen these verses before. Uh, These are kind of almost a better word, maybe roles, jobs, tasks that the Holy Spirit gives and kind of imparts on his people um, as a part of being full of the Spirit. And again, the, the idea of these, and both all of these are kind of spoken in the context of edifying and building up the church body at large and glorifying the name of Jesus. Now, both the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, or spiritual gifts, are manifested in followers of Jesus as they dwell and are full of the Spirit. The distinction is here. The distinction is that with the fruit of the Spirit, the idea is that all nine are manifested in your life. The idea is that you don't have to be patient, but you should probably be gentle. The idea is that with all nine, they're all manifesting in your life, not necessarily right away, not necessarily in any particular order that they're listed, but the idea is as you abide in God, as you draw closer to God, as you abide and are full of the Spirit, your heart, your character, your tendencies will be transformed to reflect that of our Heavenly Father. Um, a few months ago, I took a class. I um, went down for one of my grad school classes, and, um, and one of them, we learned about this idea of temperaments. I don't know if you've heard this before, but he said there are four temperaments. There are this choleric, melancholic, phlegmatic, and sanguine. I had never heard these before, but I quickly came to realize, oh, this is essentially not that dissimilar from like a personality test, Enneagram, like that kind of realm of stuff, which I love. I love that stuff. I love the feeling of reading something. I'm like, oh my goodness, that is totally me. Like, how do they know? This is so amazing. Like, I love doing this stuff. I love comparing with friends. Like, oh my goodness, how do they know I'm like that when I'm frustrated? Oh, this thing knows me so well. I love that feeling. And so, I, you know, it was really fun to do this in this class. And, and in this particular one, there were only four. And he was talking about the distinctions between the four. And, and anytime you take something similar to this, some sort of personality or self-awareness assessment, um, there are sort of like not pros and cons, but kind of healthy and unhealthy versions of each one, like a stressed and unstressed version. And as he was going through these, I was like, oh my goodness, this is totally me. I was so engrossed. And then he said something, the professor said something that was kind of eye-opening to me. He said, so you see these four kind of temperaments. He said, the idea is the closer we draw to Jesus, the more we are transformed in the character and nature of Jesus, we start walking away from the edges and the extreme versions and kind of towards a more like neutral version of all these. And these extreme cons or unhealthy versions we have of these, you know, of our personalities become diluted as we draw closer to the true character and nature of Christ. And I thought it was a pretty interesting point that the more we surround ourselves, the more we are full of the Spirit, um, our hearts begin to change. And maybe some of you have experienced this for yourselves. Or maybe you've experienced this in, in the lives of one of your friends and loved ones where you've seen someone like you are, you're different now. You're not the same. You're not as pessimistic. You're not as fearful. You're not as worried. You're not as stressed. You're not at something. You're much more, generally people say you look more at peace or you look more like you have more joy in your life. Maybe that's been the case for you in your own walk. Again, this is the fruit of the Spirit. An idea of the fruit of the Spirit is that it's a holistic sort of character change that takes place when we're full of the Holy Spirit. The next 
are the gifts of the Spirit. And the idea of the gifts, as portrayed in the three passages we just talked about, is that every single person has at least one of these gifts. And they're imparted to us by the Holy Spirit. They're given to us by the Holy Spirit, and they have less to do with your character and like the kind of person that you are, and more to do with the role you play within the body of Christ. If you look at the gifts, you see they're less to do with the type of person and more to do with what you do um, with who you are. And this is where we go back again to the original question. Okay, fruit of the Spirit, I feel like we're all like, good. I get it. Yes, love, joy, peace, patience. Who would not love that? I could use more of that. Amen. But these gifts are where it gets a little bit more interesting, and depending on which one, potentially a little bit controversial. And so with this... we, We go back to our original question of, does the Holy Spirit move in the same way that he did back in the New Testament today, especially when it pertains to something like gifts? If you notice, on the list of gifts, there's there's a pretty wide spectrum, right? On one hand, you have the gift of like prophecy and and healing and the gift of, of, one of them is just called miraculous signs. And then, you know, I don't want to downplay any of them, but like, and then you have the gift of encouragement, and helpfulness, and you're like, I want these gifts. I don't want these gifts, right? I don't want the gift of like, hey man, you're so encouraging. I want the gift of, wow, I had eczema, and I don't have eczema anymore. That's amazing, praise the Lord, right? And I feel like for us, when we talk and think in terms of, does God still move today? We're not talking about, oh, does God still give the, give the gift of leadership today? What we're really asking is, what about those big ones? Like the healing and the miraculous powers and and the gift of of prophecy and and speaking on God's behalf for maybe future events. And sure, we have a few examples. I mean, if you're Adventist, there's this Ellen White, and there's, you know, maybe you've heard of someone in the mission field that that did a healing or or a miraculous sign. But again, I feel like, if we're being honest, we're not really concerned about does God still give people the gift of encouragement. If we're honest, "Ah, okay, maybe he does. He probably does. I don't know. But What about those big ones? And actually, the term that I found for these are called sign gifts, right? These big ticket ones, the gift of speaking in tongues, different languages, the gift of healing people, the gift of being able to perform miraculous signs and miracles. And it's no wonder because I think there is something fascinating about these particular gifts. And actually, because of their sort of wow factor, again, they're called sign gifts and they're really the big ticket ones. And what we really mean when we ask those questions is, Does God still work in those ways, in those signs, as he does today? Does God still perform miracles through his people? Could God perform a miracle through me? And if so, well, what what are the requirements, right? Does the Holy Spirit ever fill people for the purpose of a miraculous healing or to bring a dead person back to life or some other miraculous supernatural work? And from what you read in Scripture and the understanding of the Holy Spirit and, and just general theology, the short answer is yes. The short answer is yes. Those things definitely do happen. And maybe you've heard, you have a story in your own life. I know I have a few from pastoral colleagues and mentors that talk about, it's almost always actually in the mission field, where they're in the mission field, and and something crazy happened, and the whole village was, they were not Christian, they were much more pagan and kind of voodoo, and then something crazy happens, the pastor and the missionary kneels down, prays, and boom, like some miracle happens, and the whole village is converted. So the short answer is yes, but for us here today in this time and place, there are some points of clarification that I need to add. The first is, it's not really up to us. 
And what I, mean, what I mean by that is the whole idea of spiritual gifts, including the gift of healing or performing miracles or speaking in a different language, is that it's not really a menu where you look at and you're like, I would like this, this, and this. It is bestowed upon us by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as you read, in, as Paul talked about in his letters, picks and chooses and bestows upon each individual some sort of gift, um, and it's their discernment. It's the Holy Spirit's discernment um, as to what's going to happen. And on top of that, I think this is also very important to clarify, especially when we're trying to make this comparison between God then and God now. Even in the times of the New Testament, the notion of miraculous events and healings and signs were somewhat inconsistent at best. And here's what I mean by that. It's not like everyone in the Old Testament, New Testament, we'll talk about New Testament, Jesus and the Gospels on. Not everyone that was full of the Spirit, that was a follower of Jesus, got to perform miraculous signs and miracles. There are some important caveats to know in, in regarding to something like that of, of healings. So if you go specifically into the idea of healings, there's uh, an example where the idea of healings is not particularly one-on-one correlated with someone being full of the Spirit. What I mean by that is this. There are certain instances when someone is healed, and as they're healed in the process of being healed, the Bible describes them as being filled with the Spirit. An example of that is Paul, right? Paul meets Jesus on the way to Damascus through a bright light, and he's blind after his encounter. He goes to Damascus, and he finds a man, a church leader by the name of Ananias, who prays over him and prays that he be filled with the Spirit. And as he does, something like scales fall out of his eyes, and his blindness is healed. But in the same line of thought, in the book of Acts, there's a story of Peter and John going to the temple. And there's a lame beggar sitting outside the temple gate. And he's asking for gold. And Peter says, Peter and gold, uh, silver and gold I don't have, but here's what I can do for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And he gets up to his feet and he starts jumping and dancing and praising God. In that story, there's no mention of neither the beggar nor Peter nor John being filled with the Spirit, but there was a healing that took place. If that makes sense, there's a bit of, there's not necessarily a one-to-one correlation of someone that's filled must be healed, someone that is healed must be filled. And also, it's important to realize that when it comes to the idea of healings and miraculous healings in Scripture in general, I think it's important for us as Christians to see it in the, in the bigger scope of perspective, which ultimately, these were all temporary in that every single person Jesus healed or was miraculously healed, every single person resurrected, brought back to life, eventually ended up passing away and going to, bed, going to sleep and, and waiting for the second coming, for the next um, reality of their life when Jesus comes in the clouds. On top of that, the healings in and of, this, of themselves continue to be inconsistent in this sense. Here's an example. Paul. Paul is someone that raised the kid back to life because the kid fell asleep um, during a late night sermon. So he falls out the window, kid dies. I'm sure, terrible moment for, oh my goodness, preached and this kid is dead now. I should have added more illustrations or something because he fell asleep. And so he goes and he raises the kid back to life. So Paul is clearly someone that at some point the Spirit has used um, to heal, or bring the fullest point of healing, right? The fullest capacity of healing. But in the same length, Paul himself is, is talked about in, in 1 Corinthians about suffering from this thorn in the flesh. Now, there are a few different arguments of what this may be. Personally, I feel like the fact that it's specified as a thorn in the flesh implies some level of physical incapability, discomfort, whatever the case may be. Whatever it is, he asks God 
three times, not once, not twice, several times, Lord, remove me from, remove this pain in my life. Let's see, physical, mental, emotional, whatever the case may be. And despite him, despite God using him to heal people in the past and from that point forward, and despite him being healed himself, God doesn't heal Paul of this. And actually, what, what God tells him is no. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And actually, what ends up happening in this scenario is this moment of, of him asking for physical healing ends up being a moment of character growth for him, where he realizes, and again, it's almost like a, instead of receiving this manifestation of a gift from God, he, he becomes more impacted from a fruits perspective, where his patience and long-suffering becomes emboldened and his faith in God grows. So you can see what I mean when I say that there is some level of inconsistency even in like this golden age where all these people were doing miracles. Now, don't get me wrong, especially in the book of Acts, there are huge passages where it just says, and they did many, many, many miraculous events. Or there was this huge healing moment where a bunch of people were healed. So yes, definitely it did happen. But if you're looking for a tried and fast rule of this plus this equals miracles, it's hard to find that even in the book of Acts or even in the Gospels. Because here's another one. Even with miraculous signs, healings aside, miraculous signs, there are still inconsistencies, right? The general understanding, I think, is like all these biblical figures who had so much faith all got to perform these amazing miracles. And I think sometimes we view them as a symptom, right? If you had enough faith, necessarily, you got to do amazing things, right? Like, look at Elijah, right, calling down fire from heaven. But while it is true that many of Jesus' disciples did perform many, many miracles, and especially in the early stages of the church, in the book of Acts and on, there were many, many miracles and wondrous signs performed. It definitely was not the case for everyone that was full of the Spirit, that everyone that was full of the Spirit automatically got to perform these wondrous signs and wonders. Here's, I think, the best example of this. The greatest human being to ever walk this earth, not named Jesus, never performed a wondrous or miraculous sign. In John chapter 4, um, verse 10, there's this um, engagement that someone has where someone is talking to Jesus about John the Baptist. This is what he said. Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. A short sentence, and there's much more context around it, but essentially what it comes down to, people follow John, People believed in his message. People were baptized by John. But it's not recorded that he ever did some miraculous sign. He never really healed anyone as far as this person could tell. Yet, Jesus calls this man that of all people born biologically, no one has been greater than John the Baptist. Yet this man, who had the privilege of blazing the trail and laying down the carpet for Jesus Christ's personal ministry himself, didn't perform any miracles. So I think it's, it's, it's faulty to say that, oh, well, if I just had enough faith, if I just believed hard enough, I would be able to do these things. Even in this sort of golden age where it seemed like everyone and their mother was doing miracles, even back then, there is no real tried and true formula for faith plus right place, right time, plus sick person equals healing. It's just, it's just not the case, whether it's Paul who was able to be healed and heal others but not heal himself, or John the Baptist, who was, you cannot argue that he was a man of God and had faith and believed, yet he himself never really performed any wondrous supernatural signs. There is just no tried and true kind of ex like experimental formula for all this. 
It's not something that anyone can do if they just have enough faith or just filled with enough the Holy Spirit. It's not a measure of our faith either. It wasn't then, and it isn't now. It's simply a gift that God chooses to give to some people for certain times and situations. But even, that he, even the people that he gives the gift to aren't just given free license to use it whenever they want, as displayed and illustrated by someone like Paul. So, with all of those caveats put into place, what does that mean for us here today in 2022? What does that mean for this series? What does that mean about our relationship and understanding of the Holy Spirit? I think it's three things. When it comes to the gifts of these spirits, the spiritual gifts, the, the gifts and effects that the Spirit can have in our lives, the first is this. It is bestowed upon people that have given their lives to Jesus. There's an element when you look at these people that these are people that have dedicated their lives, sacrificed and submitted their lives to following Jesus. And it's, it's interesting, we kind of talked about this in Sabbath school. I feel like growing up, I, I thought of these people as like synonymous with superheroes, with superpowers. But the nuanced and important difference is this. When you look at, at you know, any modern superhero you look at, they are given these powers to fulfill their agenda, their idea of justice, their idea of right and wrong, and they use their powers to enforce those own ideals. When you look at people in scripture that do miraculous signs and wonders, it's never to really push their own personal agenda. God uses them for a bigger goal, to authenticate their message that they are from God, to save people, to, to give and bring glory to God. There's this idea that when you give your life to God, it's a prerequisite for ever, ever being able to do these miraculous signs because God is going to do them, not for your glorification, not so that you can have a cool story to tell, but to bring glory and draw people to his presence and his love. The second is this. We also know that we don't get to choose, we and they, both now and then, don't get to choose what our gift is. It is something that the Spirit gives. We can infer from Scripture that it is revealed to us through a process of prayer and, and Scripture and talking to, to the people around us. Um, but it's not some takeout menu where we can pick this, this, and this and not have this, this, and this. That's not really how it works. And arguably, the most important is this third point, that you and I, everyone in this room, anyone that gives their life to Jesus and considers themselves a follower of Jesus, we all have one. We all have a gift that was given to us by the Spirit. Paul says it multiple times in all the contexts for all of these, that we have all, to each one, each and every one of us has been given this gift as a measure of the Holy Spirit. That you and I, whether you feel it, know it, agree with it or not, have been given a gift to use for a greater purpose than yourself by the Holy Spirit. And the reason that's important is this. I would argue on one hand, it means that you are valued enough by God, that God did not just save your soul, he also imparted with you a gift and an effect to have so that you can impact the lives of the people around you and bring glory to his name and build up the church and those around you. But also, because you have been given a gift by the Spirit, because you have and choose to follow Jesus and have dedicated your life to him, I would argue it's, your, it's now your responsibility to learn, understand, and then exercise this gift to the best of your ability. And the reason I use the word responsibility and even strongly duty is because of a parable that Jesus tells. Jesus tells this parable about a wealthy man who's going away on a trip. And he gives to one man, he grabs three of his servants, and to one of them he gives five talents or just bags of gold. He gives another two and another one. And then he leaves on this trip. And immediately the first two, the one that were given five and two, put that money to work. 
And in doing so, they create a, a very generous rate of return of, of 100% return on investment, right, for their master. And he comes back and he, he looks at them and says, oh my goodness, this is awesome, right? And the third one that was only given one because of fear of the master or, or any, anything else, he just digs a hole in the ground and doesn't use it, doesn't look at it, just leaves it, leaves the money in a hole in the ground. And when the master returns, just gives him the bag back. Hey, I have your money for you. I didn't do anything with it. I didn't touch it. But um, here, here's your money back. If you know the story, it doesn't, it doesn't end well for that third servant. And if you know the story of what, what Jesus or the master says to the previous two, the ones that used their money that they were given, used the gifts that they were given um, to generate this return, the, the phrase that Jesus tells those servants, I think, is one of the most beautiful lines in all of Scripture. And for me personally, and I've talked about this with, um, I remember I was in a car with, um, I think it was myself, Pastor Chris, and Pastor Juni. And it was at the end of, of Art of Worship a few weeks ago. And it was a long week, and we were exhausted, and we were driving the church van. And we're talking about um, just ministry and, you know, being tired. And someone brought up the idea of, of this bucket list that they had in their life. And one of the items that they have, like the thing I'm really looking forward to, they said, at the end of all of this, what makes ministry so worth it for them is that I wish that at the end of this all, when Jesus comes back and the Son of Man comes in the clouds and, and he takes us up to him to paradise, that I get to look Jesus in the face, give him a hug, shake his hand, and hear him say these words to me. And these are the words Jesus or the master tells his servants that have used their talents for good things, for good works. Um, this is what he tells them when he returns from his trip. He says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in these small things, so I'll put you in charge of many things. Come join me in my happiness. And for me, I think that is, that is the dream, that at the end of this all, that, that me following Jesus into ministry and serving him, whatever he needs me to do, I'm happy with if the reward is simply that, at the end of this all, I get to look my creator and Lord and Savior in the face, look at him, and hear him say those words to me. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And I think the message for us here today, at least when it pertains to the Holy Spirit, is that every single one of us in that same way has been given that bag of talents, of gifts, of something you can use to make the people's lives around you better and bring glory to God and draw people to the presence and the power of God. And the question is, what are you going to do with that gift? Because God has found you valuable enough to not only save you, but to give you this gift to empower you for a greater purpose than your own. And the invitation he gives is, join me in this. Join me in my happiness and in faith to me, follow me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you again for this reminder that you've given us, Father, that you are a God that, that finds so much value in us that you thought it was not enough to just save our souls from, from eternity, but also to grant each and every one of us that have given our lives to you a gift and a measure, and a way, and an avenue, a medium to serve you through, Father. Lord, I ask that as we continue to go from this place, and as we consider, continue to pickle ourselves, and be full of ourselves with the Spirit, you continue to reveal these things in our lives, Father. Continue to put us in places 
um, to, to nudge us in the right direction where we can use these gifts that you have given us, Father, that you are a God that is the same God that we read about in Exodus, the same God that we read about in Acts, the same God that created the world in Genesis is still alive today and here and now. The Holy Spirit still works and imparts gifts to us, Father. Let us lean into that reality and understanding and to continue to have faith and devotion as we walk with you, Lord. As we go apart during this week, Father, if there's anyone in here that, that maybe struggles with this concept, that, that feels that they have no gifts, that, that feels that there's nothing that you could give them, that they are not valued or worthless, Father, I ask that this week you show them that is not true. Reveal your love to them. Send people in, in, in their life, in our church, to remind them and encourage them of who they are and how valued they are in you, Father. For those of us that know and have an understanding of what you've given us, Father, give us the courage Give us the strength to walk in faith and draw people closer to you through the, the tools and the gifts you have given us. We thank you for your love and for your mercy and your continued grace in all of this. I praise you in your son Jesus' name. Amen.